0: And now, as a forgiven and a beloved people, let us hear our Gospel reading, both with our hearts as well as our minds. Today we are reading Matthew 14, verses 14 through 31. I am reading from the Common English Bible Translation today, but as always, I encourage you to hear this in the biblical language which best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 14, verses 14 through 31. When Jesus arrived, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. That evening, his disciples came up and said to him, This is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. The disciples replied, We have nothing here except five loaves of bread and just two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. About 5,000 men, plus women and children, had eaten. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat Fighting, a strong headwind was being battered by the waves and was already far from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them. Be encouraged! It's me! Don't be afraid! Peter replied, Lord, if it's you! Order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith. Why did you begin to have doubts? Thus ends our reading. This is the word of God for all who would hear it. Thanks be to God. Now, this is one of those passages that so many of us who grew up in church or attended Sunday school can probably recite almost by heart, if not very close to it. But there are so many details that seem to be missing here, or at least more than a few blanks that are up to our imaginations to fill in. Now, what I'm going to be focusing on for our reading today is the first half of this text that's been selected. We're going to be focusing on the conversation between Christ and the disciples during that moment of feeding the 15,000 with the small amount of loaves and fishes. Now, again... Many details seem to be missing here, and that's not a huge shock when you consider how the previous chapters and verses we find that Jesus has been using parables to teach and preach, many of which force the listener to fill in the blanks for themselves. That's, That's the nature of a parable. It's intended for each of us to draw our own conclusions. I found myself reading today's passage with a parable mindset, remembering how Jesus had been using them to teach the crowds who gather near him. And remembering how he tells the disciples that parables are really the only way the listener can learn. And he says this in the same breath as he breaks down the parables for the disciples who really just don't seem to grasp the full meaning, which really seems to be a a trope for them throughout. And So as I read, I kept asking myself, what else is going on? Is there something I'm missing? And is there something else going on here? Is this story of loaves and fishes more than just a miracle of feeding a multitude with a minimum of resources? Because I feel like all of us could preach a thousand sermons on that. We may have even already heard what may feel like a thousand sermons that someone somewhere has given and referenced this, even in moments outside of a church community. And so I came to this text seeking a new wisdom in an old, familiar place. Because familiarity can sometimes cause us to get us so comfortable with a concept that we often lose sight of some of the smaller details. So, let's suspend what we think we already know about the feeding of the 5,000 And let's take a deeper look at what is happening in this moment. Let's take a moment and let's place ourselves in that place and in that space on that hilltop among the crowds. Now folks of all ages are there. There are babies and children, there are teenagers and adults, young adults and the young at heart. It's crowded and it is more than likely really hot. There are people everywhere you look in this COVID, post, pre, peri, whatever we wanna call it, pandemic age. It almost feels like it's impossible to imagine what it's like when I say it's crowded, but imagine the concerts that we used to attend and maybe are looking forward to attending in the not so distant future. It is crowded, it is elbow to elbow people. When it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, remember, it's actually more like 15,000 or more because we need to include everyone in the count. And that includes women and children, thank you very much. I imagine most of us go with the perspective when we place ourselves in this moment with Jesus as one of the people in the crowd who heard that Jesus was there and followed him into this place. But there's so much more than the overt feeding of the people miracle happening here. And this is where I ask myself, if Jesus is all about preaching and teaching by parable, and parables are examples of faith and action, and it's up to each of us then hearing the lesson to locate where God is in that lesson and then apply it to our own experiences. What if instead of placing ourselves in the crowd, we, we put ourselves in the place of the disciples? Because what if this was less about the crowd and more about those followers closest to Christ? Could Jesus actually be using this miracle of feeding as a way to speak to the disciples, which then in turn means us, to teach them about how to act, how to feed, and how to be reflections of love, even in troubled and broken times? What if this was less about feeding the people and more about feeding the disciples. Now let's look a, le- look a bit at the de- timeline, because as always, again, our scripture lessons drop us in the middle of a story. Now let's remember that John the Baptist has just died. Jesus gets word of this, of the death of his cousin, and is more than likely devastated And so perhaps he's so deep in his feelings that he feels like he just needs a moment by himself to collect himself. And so he seeks out a quiet place that is way outside of the town that he was currently in. He withdraws and he attempts to regroup, perhaps by himself, probably with the disciples. But then the crowd hears something either about John or about Jesus, or both. And they follow him. Now, considering where Jesus is, and the fact that Matthew makes a point to tie these two events together scripturally, makes me think that we have probably equal parts John and Jesus followers. And so many of these people are going to be affected by the news of John the Baptist's death in some kind of way, either as Individuals, followers who know of Jesus's relationship with John, or followers of John who have just lost their leader and teacher. And so in the midst of his own grief, Jesus sees the people, and he then too sees their need. He is so overcome with empathy and compassion that even As he sits with his own grief and loss, he invites them to sit with him in their grief. And as it is written, he heals them. Now, what that looks like may be different for each and every person who encountered Jesus that day. But in some way, he made them whole again. And the day goes on like this. It goes on until very late. And eventually, the disciples approach Jesus and offer to send the people on their way to find food since they're way out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus responds with, Why do they need to leave? Doesn't look like they're ready to. Hey, here's an idea. Why don't you feed them? You see, Jesus knew these people, not just the disciples, but the, the crowds that were gathered. He knew that they needed to stay that they were struggling through something together and they needed to be in community together. Now the disciples were new to this whole being a disciple of Jesus thing. And quite frankly, don't many of us right, feel that way sometimes. And they didn't think there was any way to make this work. And they pretty much said as much. So Jesus takes what they have. Just a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. He then publicly offers thanks. And he blesses the meal as it is. He doesn't add to it. He doesn't suddenly conjure up or or create from thin air more resources. He blesses the meal as it is. And then directs the disciples to carry out the mission of feeding the people themselves. He hands them the baskets with exactly what the disciples had given him in the first place, which is not enough fish or bread. And as the disciples move among the people, there is a movement happening. As the baskets move, so does the love of God, feeding and connecting everyone there, each receiving exactly what they need. And when the baskets are collected at the end, there is an additional amount left over to fill 12 more baskets. So back to the perspective, this parable mindset and this being about the disciples more than the crowds. Remember Jesus and his love of parables with the hidden kernels of wisdom and truth. This story is a parable written in the miracle itself. A story of how to be disciples in the midst of grief. Because the disciples don't know it at the time, but they were being prepared for the work ahead. To continue bringing Christ's message of love and transformation to the world after the terrible and traumatic reality of his death and his joyous resurrection three days later. This was the first of the lessons preparing the disciples for what was to come, that they would have to carry on the ministry in the depths of their grief over losing Christ. Because in that moment, God was fully present with them. The disciples were do, were able to do exactly as Christ instructed them, which was to feed the people. So yes, there was a miracle that day. And it was the physical and spiritual feeding of not just the crowd, but the disciples as well. A miracle wrapped in a parable, further proof that God is indeed full of surprises. So the next question is, how does this speak to us today? How many times have we turned on the news or opened up Facebook or checked out one of the news websites or read the papers and felt like everything was going you know where in a handbasket, y'all? Right now, I imagine many of us feel like the world is on fire, and we are completely helpless to stop it. Many of us are experiencing grief over loved ones lost over the last 14 months, whether it's to COVID or to something else, but COVID has prevented us from being able to truly grieve the way we need to. In either case, it's a grief that we experience which cannot be properly expressed because of the current pandemic. We have grief over canceled plans and dreams put on hold indefinitely. We have sadness over not being able to say goodbye or hello to new people in our communities. And it's anxiety causing. It can be completely paralyzing. You don't know where to start. And so many of us have this this kind of question hanging up over our heads, which is how can we change the world when everything seems so beyond repair? Like the disciples, we have jobs to do as a people called Christian, and yet so often we feel completely overwhelmed by it all. Am I right? We too are in the middle of a reality with some serious turmoil and pain. We are not so far removed from the disciples and those among the listeners to Jesus's story. And it is so hard to bring love and light into places of darkness, we know that, especially as we struggle to find the light ourselves. But we are called to be reflections of Christ's light, reflections of Christ's love. We are called to reflect that to each other, to our communities, to our world. Our job as Christians is to encourage one another to be the hands and feet of Christ and to deepen our relationships with God, with one another, and with ourselves. But that can feel so hopeless when we aren't able to be together physically. Never mind when we're doing it virtually and then our lives become nothing but one Zoom call after another. But there's hope. It's the same hope of the disciples as they stood in front of all of those people with too few loaves of bread and fish. It's that same hope that God will take what we have to give and fortify it so that we may do the work. We are capable of so much when we remain focused on reflecting the same love and compassion Jesus showed the crowd and, yes, his disciples. Even in the midst of our own broken feelings or hurts, Even in our confusion and our own grief, when we find ourselves in the whirlwind of a world that seems beyond repair, we are still Christ's church. We are still loved and still called to love. And like the disciples, we need to trust that God will lead us while also taking the action necessary to be led, which means that perhaps church needs to look different in this pandemic world. Perhaps we need to get creative and find new and exciting ways of engaging our spiritual lives and inviting others to do the same. And that maybe we need to intentionally make time to connect with the Holy Spirit. There's no maybe about that. We definitely do. And do it in a way that works for us. Either in prayer, meditation, or even exercise. Or uh, I will tell you right now, I highly recommend napping as a spiritual practice because our bodies do need rest. So my challenge to all of us, and that includes myself, is to take time this week to seek where God is leading you. To find a moment in the day, each day, to explore your faith, and ask questions of yourself and of God. To stretch yourself, even if your faith feels too little or not enough, to stretch yourself and your understanding of the world, to allow yourself to participate in conversations, even the ones you've been avoiding for one reason or another, and to do it with the same grace and love that Christ showed the disciples when they weren't sure that they could do even what Jesus told them they could. And I challenge you to also watch for those moments where God's infinite love breaks through in the most brilliant of ways in places where you could never imagine it. Because even though I'm asking you to suspend your, you're inserting yourself into the crowd and become one of the disciples in this story, we're also in the crowds as well. And in that moment, they experienced God's love, dazzling, dazzling and sustaining and satisfying during a time where they felt so broken and unsure of the future. So watch for those moments. Watch for those moments and give yourself space to experience them. And my hope is that we may live into that hope that God will provide and give us what we need with what we have to make a difference in the world, just as the disciples did. And in so doing, may our faith find action in God. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen.